Welcome back to the Lou Perez podcast. My name is Lou Perez. If you'd like to support the podcast, please head over to theluperez.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community. If you join, you'll get to listen to the podcast early. You'll get to watch my sketch comedy early, as well as experience other exclusive content. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you're looking for another way to support me, you can do so by supporting my sponsors. So if you're into cold brew, I highly recommend Black Organic Cold Brew. Head over to www.blvckbrew.com and use promo code LOU, that's L-O-U, and you'll get free shipping. And if you're into CBD products, please check out Paloma Verde, www.palomaverdestore.com. And if you use the code LOU, you'll get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you sign up for email, you'll get an extra 10% off as well. All right, here we go. I am so honored and thrilled to be joined by my next guest. Um, His name is Anthony Daniels, but if you're like me and you're a fan of his writing, you might know him as Theodore Dalrymple. Um, So, uh, Mr. Daniels, thank you so much uh, for joining me. I would love to to start off with finding out how you came up with a pen name and also why you you chose to to have a pen name to begin with. Well, I... I, as you probably know, I'm a doctor, so I, right. I wanted to, uh, I was talking about the things that I was seeing in uh, my practice, so I had to disguise it. Of course, I disguised the the stories or the cases a bit, but it was also a, a name that for quite a long time was a, a real disguise. And I chose this particular name because it sounds very old-fashioned and bad-tempered. <laughs> it, it, it certainly does. Um... And uh, when you're writing, do you ever feel like, are, are the personalities of Theodore Dalrymple and, and Dr. Daniels, are they the same? Or do you find that there are things that Theodore can say that sort of a character of his own? Well, at, at first, there were many things that Theodore could say that I didn't uh, 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 say uh, in public, although I felt them. Uh, but the two personalities are really the same. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, I was able to say something with uh, with a pseudonym that I wasn't able to say under my own name while I at least while I was working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and nowadays, I uh, it it seems like it would be a good idea for a lot of people to have a uh, a pen name. Uh, when I uh, year, years back, when I was writing fiction, uh, I would go by my full name, which was Luis Amate Perez, which had uh, to me at least a ring of Ooh, he has three names. That sounds and and ooh, he sounds a little uh, exotic, you know. So maybe someone would want to read this. Um, but then after a while, I mean, everybody knows me as Lou, and um, my comedy career has been uh, Lou Perez for uh, for a while now. And I'm wondering, oh, maybe I should try to dip back into uh, Luis. But I think at this point, everybody knows who I am, or at least I'm very I'm easily discoverable, um, and. Uh, with the way things uh, with the way things are, I've 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 had um, a number of projects where people have asked me to actually to uh, credit them under aliases, and uh, it's not so much out of fear of it, they're not doctors, let's say, and and they're not trying to separate yeah. their work, but out of fear that it might derail future projects. Um, so, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, for myself, I don't really, I mean, I'm of an age where it, uh, future projects is a bit strong for, <laughs> uh, for what I have in mind. Uh, but um, I've been fortunate, I suppose, in that I've never 
never really been very viciously attacked, at least as far as I know. Since I don't do social media, I, for all I know, I am being attacked, but I don't know that I'm being attacked. But I've no, I haven't actually uh, suffered anything, so I don't feel any need now for a, uh, for much of a pseudonym, except that since I'm known as Theodore Dalrymple, I'll, I'll continue using it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, since since you're not active on social media, what you know, what have you noticed, sort of as an outsider of you know the social media craze? Um, well, well, one thing that uh, I've wondered is whether all that bile that is expressed on social media existed before there was social media or whether it was the social media that created the bile. Uh, I mean, in the old days, I used to, when I used to write before we had, there was a before social media. I mean, they're, they're, we've forgotten what it what that before was like, but I used to get letters and uh, some of them I could always tell the ones from madmen um <laughs> they were enveloped cut in two and oh and wow closed with sellotape and written in odd colored inks uh, with very variable size letters and so on but the fact is that uh, there was never any of that extreme bile expressed even when people dis disagreed with me they they didn't use the bile that you see uh uh, expressed on the social media and I, I wonder whether it's just um, made everyone's temper extremely bad because people can express themselves anonymously of course and they can express themselves immediately uh, the old idea that you shouldn't write in anger and should wait 24 hours before you write uh, has completely disappeared so uh, anyway I, I've noticed that and it, I mean uh, uh, when people reply to my articles, even on the, you know, when they, they have the right to reply in, uh, in a magazine. Uh, I mean, after about two or three comments, they've forgotten all about the article and are busy attacking each other. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. And, and for, those, um, for those out there um, who might not be familiar with your work, um, you publish regularly in uh, City Journal as well as Taki uh, Mag. And uh, it, it is interesting. I've noticed too, um, you know, even just putting out jokes where at some point you'll get comments that seem to have nothing to do with the content of what was written. It, it seems like people are trying to uh, um, exercise some demons, uh, you know, that, that I somehow, you know, they, they, they found them in the work, but it's not really there. Yeah, and it, of course, if you give a talk somewhere and there's an audience, a live audience, uh, we've almost forgotten what a live audience is like as well. But uh, if you've got a live audience and the chairman asks for uh, questions afterwards, there's always one, at least one, who wants to make a speech, mm -hmm. which may have almost nothing to do with uh, the subject. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I would be very grateful if fewer people expressed themselves. Yeah. And, you know, saying something like that, um, nowadays people would respond, oh, how dare you? How dare you say that, 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 that all, every, all the billions of people on this planet might not have something worth, worth listening to. But I mean, it, it is the reality of it. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, think of all the subjects on which you don't have anything, uh, anything to say, where well, I haven't got anything. To, I have nothing to say about uh, mathematical physics nothing I could say would be worth listening to or reading. Yeah. And, and that is true, actually, of the vast majority of subjects. Yeah. Um, 
you, you wrote something uh, recently uh, about Michel de Montaigne. Is it Montaigne or Montaigne? Montaigne. 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 Uh, and uh, I read it. Uh, it's in the, the City Journal. And for me, it was, um, it was an opportunity to go back in time to college, where it was the first time I'd ever heard about this man. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I remember at the time, um, he was credited as basically being sort of like the first essayist, um, somebody who would who would take personal accounts and then comment comment on the things that were happening. Yes, around. I suppose he. Well, he's certainly the first famous uh, one. Uh, I mean, of course, there were classical ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't really matter whether anybody's sure. the first of anything. The question is whether he's any any good. Yeah. And 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 with that, you quoted something, um, and uh, it, it it was it was a, a beautiful quote, perfect quote. It turns out I've been saying a version of this for a while, but he says it. He lays it out just so much better. Uh, and the, and the quote is, uh, "If we sometimes looked more inwardly." and employed the time in probing ourselves that we spend in examining others and learning about things exterior to us, we should easily discover how much our own fabric is built of failing and fragile pieces. And my version of it is, uh, as a comedian, we're often tasked with holding up a mirror to society, to the world. And I say, it's really important to remember every now and then to turn that mirror around and examine and, and, and examine yourself. But uh, it was well now now with uh, selfies, of course, <laughs> a, a literal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't call that self-examination. No, I would. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 it's the opposite. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, it's it's a it's amazing. Uh, it shouldn't be surprising that somebody who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago could have something to say about uh, the you know humanity and what it means to be a human. But nowadays, it seems like classics are being thrown out, and all that and all that's left are the selfies. You know how much um, you know ogling of yourself you can you can do. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't really know what's going on in universities. Whether this is an in exaggeration, I don't really have any contact with universities or professors or anything like that. But what one reads are al- very alarming stories in the uh, in the press. How far they reflect reality, I I can't say I know from personal experience. Mm-hmm. But it does seem as if uh, uh, people are throwing out um, throwing out classics and or classical writers and um, living in a permanent present moment. Right, right. Um, you, you also hit on, a, hit on something in, in the piece when uh, uh, it was one of these arguments sort of uh, when it came to the, the savages in the new world and people pointing out, yes. you know, they're, they're cannibals and they, and they, you know, torture people. Uh, and at the time, Montaigne had the uh, had the gall to say, you know, maybe we should look at how we actually torture people. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think you pointed out in a, in a, uh, in a really brilliant way that it, it, it wasn't for him to say, oh, all things are equal or there is no objective morality, but just to point out that, you know, we might need to change the way we do things before pointing at the cannibals. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, of course, it's always easier to point uh, 
to other people's uh, uh, wrongfulness than acknowledge one's own. I mean, that's, but that's been known really, I suppose, since ever any, anybody has started to think at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there seems to be a um, something happening though, and you, you often, you write a lot about um, uh, crime and criminality, in particular, how the courts are responding to criminality. And it seems like uh, when it comes to the court system, uh, they have a, a tendency to go easy on people who have objectively done wrong, um, you know, as opposed to, uh, I don't, um, how, would I, how would I put this? Uh, it seems like a lot of people who deserve punishment are not necessarily getting it. And um, I, I think you've written quite a bit about the courts in, in England. And um, what, what yes. do you think that's about? Uh, well, I think it's a loss of uh, self-confidence in a society which finds it very difficult to draw the, a distinction between right and wrong, partly, of course, because uh, <clears throat> of the expansion of tertiary education, especially in such subjects as uh, sociology and criminology and so on. Uh, criminology, British criminologists said, admitted that uh, that criminology has a hundred-year conspiracy, more or less, uh, to deny that punishment could have any effects on crime. Mm. And um, uh, and certainly in Britain, we've seen a, an astonishing relaxation of uh, of punishment and, and a concomitant enormous rise in uh, crime, violent, particularly violent crime. When one considers that in the maybe in 19, something like 1920, there were fewer robberies in England than there are in one month in one borough of London. Wow. Now, of course, you, you have to be careful with the figures because they, you know, they may be measuring different things. But in fact, if you look at figures like about uh, of uh, violent attacks, they've gone up in, enormously, enormously. Uh, and in fact, I looked uh, at America a bit, and that is also true in the United States. And people, there was a paper, an interesting paper. I don't know how how far you can believe it absolutely, but it was claimed that if we use the same resuscitation techniques as we used in 1960, uh, the murder rate would be five times what it is. In other words, a lot of people are saved from violence who... Uh, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, uh, would have died. And if you consider how far um, a resuscitation and surgical techniques had already improved uh, between uh, 1900 and 1960, you can see how, how actually, how violent uh, our society has become hmm. by comparison with, with what it was. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lifelong New Yorker, and I, I lived in Los Angeles for, for a few years. And then when I moved back, um, it took me a, a very long time to acclimate to, um, I guess, the city, in particular, the subway. And um, as I've gotten older, I've had a harder and harder time dealing uh, with New York City, in particular, because it seems like uh, quality of life is just sort of thrown out uh, the window, and we're back to a to a time when um, any uh, bad behavior is excused or justified, and um, it's really scary to, yeah. you know, to to 
it's scary just to be a, a normal person trying to live your life. And every single time I, every single time I walk out the door, I'm, I'm, I have my head on the swivel and I'm like, what, you know, what, what's, what, what's going to happen today? That sounds like you're going back to the 1970s, which were a very bad, uh, very bad time. There was a period when things were much better in New York City, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it does sound as if it's going backwards. I remember the first time I was in New York, which was in 1968, <laughs> I was on Madison Avenue waiting for a bus and there was a lady next to me and um, there was no one else around and suddenly a shot rang out. And there was a little puff of smoke in the in the road in front of us. And she looked at me and she said, I'm telling you, this city is a bad place. <laughs> wow. Um, but it was, I mean, it did get a lot better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 uh, it was definitely cleaned up uh, for um, for years and years. Um, what, what I've what I've sort of noticed is uh, you know, definitely like vagrancy, um, but also the sort of like a general attitude or a culture where I, as a, as a guy, I'm usually, I'm, I'm of the mind where, uh, you don't start trouble with somebody who is with their child, you know, walking with a, with a stroller. And the, the other uh, couple, a couple of weeks ago, I was walking with my, my wife and our, our one-year-old and it was pushing him down the street. And some, some guy asked us for directions to the subway. And we asked, well, which subway are you looking for? And he said, oh, I'm just looking for this station. And I said, oh, well, you just go up and then, you know, head over to the right. And he continued sort of speaking to me about, yeah, well, um, is this, uh, is this train there? Is that train there? And there was just something off about the guy. And my wife said, well, you know, what are you, where are you trying to get to? He's like, I'm trying to get to a New York city uh, subway station. And I had my child, um, he wasn't very close to him, but he had my child in front of me. And I sort of put my child to the side of me because I was dealing with, you know, with a, with a nut. And I just told my wife, let's just go, let's just go. And, and we went. And then the guy, you know, started, you know, cursing at me, telling me that, well, he told me to wear a mask because I was outside and not wearing a mask. And he was a, a good, you know, person had a mask on. And I was just thinking why, like, like the, the I, I just can't be in the mindset of somebody who would want to start a conflict, especially something that could be physical with a family, you know, with a one-year-old right there. Um, so it's, it's, it's not, it's an ongoing thing I'm dealing with in, uh, well, in he sounds as if he might well have been drugged from the sound of it. He could, he could um, very well. He, he, he was wearing a mask with a Kermit the frog picture on it. Yeah. Um, so there was, I, I guess that yeah. was, that was the nice thing about it. But I mean, one of the things that, um, uh, irritates me, uh, certainly in England is that, uh, is that a very elementary consideration uh, is rarely right. taken into account. That is, that it is the poor, not the rich, who suffer from crime. Right. The rich can immunize themselves against crime, and on the whole, they don't suffer much as a result of crime. It's the poor who suffer from crime. And if it's true, it is true that most criminals come from poor backgrounds. It's also true that so do most of their victims. Right. And since there are more. Uh, many times more victims than there are criminals, uh, not to incapacitate the criminals or not to do anything about the criminals is to victimize the poor. 
and yet sometimes it seems as if the authorities, certainly in England, see the see criminality as a benefit received by the uh, the poor, mm. but it's not. It may, it's one of the things that makes their lives uh, even more difficult. One of the most difficult things in fact, for them to deal with, because they, they can never be safe. And furthermore, if they're robbed, uh, it's far worse for them than it is for the rich. I'm not rich, but no one could rob, rob, one could, uh, rob me of, uh, of, of all that I, uh, that I possess. Whereas someone who burgles a poor person's house can take everything the poor person possesses. One of the other writers uh, at City Journal, Heather MacDonald, has yeah. writ written quite a bit about um, policing criminality and where you, you see a lot on social media or in the, the media at large, uh, this idea of defund the police. Um, the reality is that in a lot of these neighborhoods, as you know, as you described, that are you know where the victims are are poor people. Um, they're actually, for the most part, asking for more policing, for more of a uh, more of a police presence to yeah. to protect their their interests. Um, and it's it it th there's a luxury of being able to be disconnected um, from that, where you could, like you say, you could be a wealthy person who doesn't have to th think about that and say, oh no, you, we we don't have police here. We don't yeah. need you must not need it in the uh, well, the, the spoiled brat class, really. That, that, that's a, that's a better way to put it, uh, for, for sure. Um, with uh, so uh, how when you were when you were practicing uh, medicine, what what was your um, your specialty? Was well, I was a, a psychiatrist, and I worked in a <clears throat> I worked in a general hospital, and uh, immediately next door was the prison. The, the, I used to walk between the uh, the hospital and the prison every afternoon. And I used to, uh, I mean, it was very interesting. It was only a few hundred yards, but there many of the cars en route had been broken into. And then uh, by observing uh, uh, this, I was able to uh, discover the main cause of crime, uh, which was good weather, uh, because they never, <laughs> never <laughs> broke into cars <laughs> they could refrain from breaking into people's cars during the rain or the snow but not when it was sunny so i immediately concluded that the good weather was the cause of crime but anyway i used to go to the prison in the afternoon so in the morning i would see uh, patients in the prison i also did general medical work um, and i was on duty at night uh, one uh, one night in every three or four for 14 years or something like that and I used to have to get up and and, and, and work in the prison in the middle of the night uh, so it was very interesting because in the morning I would see people who were who were more often uh, or quite often uh, victims of crime and in the afternoon I saw the perpetrators wow uh, uh, that was a somewhat unusual experience mm -hmm. I mean, most people concentrate on the perpetrator and uh, not on the victim. And, and but, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. And, and I got on, I mean, I had, I had good fun in the prison. It was, uh, it was not near. <laughs> before, yeah, before we, we get into that, I definitely- I had a wonderful I, time in prison. I, I definitely want to, yeah, I want to uh, talk about, uh, about that. And, you know, I think something that, um, that I just wanted to add when you were, you know, talking about victims, victims of crime, 
you know, obviously there is the, um, uh, you know, the, the physical reality of being a victim of a crime. If you're, if, if you're robbed, somebody takes something and you no longer have that. Um, if you're attacked, then, you know, you have the, there's a physical, you know, repercussion and, you know, uh, especially if you're, if, if violence were involved, but something, uh, something that, that I think is, is often missing from the discussion is just the, um, the talk of, of dignity and losing your dignity by being victimized and how, yeah. you know, awful, awful that, that must feel. Um, uh, sorry. And awful. And also you don't feel you, the world is not the same again for you often for quite a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, my mother, my aged mother was uh, robbed uh, at the age of 80, 82, not very violently, uh, but it never happened to her before. And mm. of course, it changed her outlook and it changed how she she went about her life. And right. in fact, in in large parts of Britain, um, uh, there is actually a curfew for older people, de facto curfew. I mean, I know we've had a curfew with uh, uh, with um, COVID, but there is a de, uh, de facto uh, curfew because people don't dare go out at night. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and they're not not that they feel altogether safe in their homes either, but uh, but at any rate, they they would it would be regarded as foolhardy to go out for them to go out at night. Yeah, I remember reading uh, well, one of the many differences between the United States and, and England is that there are a lot, lot more daytime home invasions in England than, uh, yeah. than in the United States, uh, which, yeah, I, I can't even, uh, I can't even imagine that. Well, I, I actually worked, I worked out uh, that uh, with our present sentencing sentence uh, policies, a burglar can expect to do three days uh in prison for every burglary that he commits. Three days. days. Three days. That's a long weekend. And, uh, you know, you have to be a pretty incompetent burglar not to be able to take more than three days value of goods uh, away from uh, um, from a burglary. And uh, I remember there was, there was a, and I said, well, this being the case, really the question shouldn't be why there are so many burglaries, but why there are so few, because there's actually, no reason why anybody shouldn't burgle his neighbor's house mm. and um and so the question as i said is why there's so few burglaries and uh, a new zealand lawyer uh, 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 quick as a shot said uh, well it's because they don't teach arithmetic properly <laughs> <laughs> so, so the burglars don't really don't realize how uh, can't work out from the statistics how unlikely it is that they're going they're going to be caught and how leniently they will be treated yeah with um uh, any any time i you know i hear about um you know people like like burglars and people who you know who commit crimes i always think about uh sort of the world that they're coming back to and the world that seems to uh if, if it's not punishing them for uh, for what they're doing, it's sometimes applauding them for for what they're doing, or at least making it easier for them to continue doing what they're doing. And um, I just can't. I'm, I'm trying to think of the. I, I, for example, I I I'm married. I've I've been with uh, I put, my wife and I. We've been married around three years, and then be, we've been together. I think eight years uh, in total. 
And I was just thinking about the personal values that I have and the way I go about my day and the way that I look at life that made me attractive to my wife and, you know, and, and also vice versa. Uh, you know, loyalty. Uh, I'm a good guy. I'm honest most of the time. Try to be, try to be honest. Uh, these are the kinds of values that I think you know most people in society would say. Oh, you know that that's actually going to lead to a good society. But yet you have these people where it's like, oh yeah, you know, we can go and and um, you know burglarize a uh, uh, you know an apartment building, and uh, everything will be okay. Um, so I, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, why are these, you know, why are certain values being, uh, being pushed and others are being sort of put to the side? Well, <laughs> that, that's, uh, that's a very difficult question. I think actually the rot comes from the top, as the Russians say, um, the fish rots from the head down. I don't know whether it's true of fish, but it's certainly true of, um, of societies. And if people don't have confidence in promoting what's right and wrong, as they don't increasingly, uh, increasingly they find explanations of bad behavior, uh, sociological, criminological, psychological, neurological explanations, uh, then actually people don't, they're actually encouraged not to feel responsible for their own actions. Mm. And, they, and they get rewarded for not feeling responsible for their own actions. Yeah. Um, and that was something that I, I mean, I had lots of discussions uh, in, the, uh, in the prison with uh, prisoners, who, with burglars and others uh, who, um, who denied their personal responsibility. I remember one burglar came, uh, he had been caught many times, so he must've been very incompetent given the incompetence of the British police. Um, and there, and he said, uh, "Doctor, do you think it, you know, my burgling? Do you think it's got anything to do with my childhood?" So I said, "Absolutely nothing, whatever." <laughs> and uh, and 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 he was very surprised, actually, that anybody should say this. I mean, that it, it is like that now. People are, are surprised by something like that. So he said, "Well, why do I do it?" And I said, well, I don't think it's quite simple. You're lazy and stupid and you, uh, you want things uh, which you're not prepared to work for. And he didn't get angry. He started laughing because he knew it was true. Now, what is also true, what I can't deny, is that most of these people have had terrible backgrounds. Uh, for example, in the, in the hospital in which I worked, with the exception of Indian immigrants, the, the what used to be called the illegitimacy rate uh, was virtually 100%. And nobody knew, no child really lived with his father, mm. with his mother and his father. Almost all of them lived with the mother. And they lived in a kind of household uh, which was sort of kaleidoscopic in it in its uh, personnel, as it were. People would come in and go out and, and, and enter, leave. And uh, I, I mean, it seems obvious to me that this is a disaster, both for society and for the individuals who live in that way. Of course, there were success stories too. But if you were trying to 
uh, trying to give people a good life, that would not be your model of uh, family life. And yeah. this seems to me obvious, and yet it is repeatedly denied or ignored. Yeah, you can no longer say the obvious. And, 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 and it's interesting, I, I was thinking about this too, where um, uh, I, I had read about these um, sort of exercises that are being done in school um, when it comes to, I guess you call them like privilege exercises to, uh, to figure out how privileged you are as a child. And one of the privileges that, that you have is, oh, do you have a mother and father at home. You, you are being raised in a two parent household. That is a privilege. And I feel like, uh, well, if you've already admitted that it's a privilege to have a, a mother and a father raising you, why, well, then yeah. why not point out how, you know, a, a single family household is not ideal, is not the, you know, is not what we should be shooting for. Yes. It's like they want it both. It, it's the, the people. Um, well, the interesting thing, is, the interesting thing is, I mean, the attack on, on the family has been longstanding. Uh, it goes back. Um, well, um, I mean, in literature, it goes back um, at least to the 19th century. Uh, but the, the interesting thing is that the people propounding the idea that actually families are of different types and it doesn't really matter whether there's a you know, father there or not, and it doesn't matter whether uh, there's a kind of kaleidoscopic um, um, personnel, uh, they actually don't live like that. Mm -hmm. and they, they live, um, tend to live, not, they don't all, of course, they tend to live a much more conventional, what used to be conventional life. Right. Um, and but it's had a devastating effect on people at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale, which it hasn't had at the higher levels. Yeah, I believe uh, it was Amy Wax, um, a, uh, a law professor in the United States who got into some trouble for basically calling out uh, uh, people with... Uh, you know, the bourgeoisie, people who are living with bourgeoisie values are the ones saying, I don't know, no, the other people, they don't need to, they don't need these values. They could, you know, uh, they'll, yes. they'll, they'll figure it out. Yes. They'll, they'll do just, they'll do uh, just fine. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, actually, I if, you, if you wanted to be a Marxist and say how to keep the lowest class down, you couldn't actually invent a, invent a better way of making sure that they stay where they are. Just like our, our educational system is the same, by refusal to teach uh, 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 literacy and, and numeracy in a proper way, um, they are actually condemning the children of the poor to remain uh, uh, poor. So, um, and I saw this uh, saw this a lot. I mean, I, 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 could, I couldn't believe the educational level of people in the lower end of our society after they had had an education which cost tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, it was, it was almost a miracle that they could have come out of schools knowing so little. Some of them seemed to know less than when they went in. I mean, it was, it was astonishing to me and disastrous. I mean, 20, it is said, and again, I, you know, I haven't, uh, I can believe it because I met the products of this, but about 20% of children uh, leave uh, their primary school at the age of 11, not being able 
to read properly. Uh, and if they don't read by 11, they're probably not going to uh, learn to read properly uh, later in their lives. I mean, imagine what, what, what a huge disadvantage that is for, for people uh, living in a modern society. Yeah. And it's completely unacceptable because it's, if you use the right methods, 90, 99% of people can be taught to read properly. So I used to get a bit agitated about this, um, but I couldn't find anybody who was really very interested in it. Yeah. Well, well, they would probably say, well, well, the only reason why you care is because you publish books, sir. So your bottom line is dependent upon an illiterate. Actually, I, I, to begin with, at any rate, I publish books because this is what I found. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, we, I, can't, we... I can't say that now, but... Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were uh, a little earlier. You were you said that you had um, some fun in prison, um, and this you were never locked up in prison, right? We'll just you know no no. That, no no I, no no you were there vo voluntarily um, yes. <laughs> doing doing your thing yeah well was, well yes I was paid to be there right. but uh, and of course I do have sometimes nightmares about I, I, about uh, actually going to prison as a prisoner. I mean, I, I, um, it's very, for me, it would be very unpleasant. But one of the things I found, and this I thought was very telling, is that there were not a few prisoners, quite a percentage of them, who preferred life in prison to life outside. And uh, at least for a time, I mean, they didn't want to spend the rest of their lives in prison, but they, it, they actually quite liked being in prison, at least for a time. And the reasons they 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 liked being in prison was that all responsibility was taken from them. They were told what to do. Um, they were treated, provided they didn't misbehave, they were treated reasonably well. I'm glad to say that prison was not brutal. Uh, and um, they got their meals, everything was predictable. Uh, they were free of women. That was a very good thing. It wasn't that they were homosexual. But their, their, the mothers of their children kept at them for money, which they didn't want to or were not able to provide. Mm. Uh, so they were free of all responsibility once they were in prison. Uh, and quite a few of them would say to me, I used to ask them, you know, between us, uh, do you actually like being in prison? And they said yes, they preferred it to being, being outside prison which is a, te a terrible indictment of the life outside, of course, because yeah. life in, I mean, for you or for me, life in prison would be horrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so, so with that, I mean, you're going to this, uh, you know, you're going to this place, uh, you know, multiple times a week, you're seeing um, all different sorts of, of criminals from, burglars to I'm sure murderers murderers yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, where, where was the where was the fun what was the fun was <laughs> was that in part sort of getting into the minds of, of people who were yes, and they different? had they often had a good sense of humor I mean they, mm. uh, the idea that there were lots and lots of people like Hannibal Lecter in the prison was not true and occasionally you would meet uh, meet uh, someone who was like that, but it was very infrequent. 
and, and they were recognizably different from most of the prisoners. But actually, I never spoke to the prisoners in any different way from how I'm speaking to you. Mm-hmm. And it was always said that prisoners are badly educated and not intelligent. Well, they were badly educated on the whole, that was true. Um, but I never found that they were so unintelligent, they, they didn't have a general understanding of things. And maybe what I was saying to them wasn't very difficult to understand or not very intelligent, but they had no difficulty whatever in grasping what I was saying. And by and large, they agreed with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, one of the things I found about, uh, for example, the mothers, the teenage mothers, who, of course, lived in single parent households, I said, what, what do you want for your child? when the child grows up. And she said, well, I, if it was a girl, uh, she would say, I want him, her to meet a, a good man who'd be a husband, who have a good job and have a house and, and live the bourgeois life, actually. Right. But the problem was that they had no way, they had no understanding of how to go about it, how you would achieve it. And they wouldn't get any help uh, from all the people who were supposedly helping them. Did you um, did you make any breakthroughs with with any of the uh, patients? Well, it's a bit difficult. I mean, it's very difficult to say. I, I certainly, I mean, for example, I certainly made women who were victims of violence uh, think more clearly about the violence that they had suffered because, I, I, and this is a, a, a a uh, risky thing to say, uh, but I used to point out to them that they were often complicit in the violence that they had been subjected to. I used to say to them, well, how long would it take me to recognize that the man who has just broken your jaw or whatever he's done is no good? And they would say, oh, well, you'd know immediately. Mm. And I'd say, well, if I would know immediately, you know what it is that I would know immediately, and therefore you knew it too. And yet you persisted in associating with this man. And you go back to him and so on and so forth. And uh, they would say things like, uh, uh, well, he changes and then he, and his eyes go and then he uh, hits me. And he can't, he can't help it. So I would say, well, would he do it in front of me then? And, uh, mm-hmm. and that very simple question would make them think in a way that they hadn't thought before. Now, whether it helped them in the long run, I don't know. Some it did, I think, of, but, but at least it put a grain of, of, of reflection into their minds. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, obviously I said, I prefaced my remarks by saying that the, the man uh, was very bad and I had absolutely no sympathy with what he did and so on. But I'm really concerned with what you can do to avoid this, to avoid it happening again. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is very incorrect, I'm afraid. But, uh, right, but, but to but- me, obvious. Yeah, and it and it's sort of uh, 
I mean, in, in a way, it's sort of like the the burglars who get three days for every every burglary that they um, that that they do. In that, oh well, if I do this, this is the punishment that I'm going to get. Um, if I'm not around somebody who can come to the defense of my girlfriend or mother of my child, I could do whatever I want, uh, whatever I want to hear. There, want to hear. Yeah. There's no there's no risk of of punishment when um, I I don't have any um any history with uh the the criminal justice system outside of a, a a parking ticket or a speeding ticket but i used to date a a woman who was a, an assistant district attorney in yeah. manhattan um and she used to be on quite a few uh you know troubling uh cases she was i think she was in she worked sex crimes for for a, a little bit and um you know hearing uh, you know, hearing those tales are really troubling. And I have a, a family member who works in family court. And for people who don't know about family court, they might think, oh, it just in, involves divorces. And no, it, it involves um, children who have committed terrible acts. So some of them are, you know, uh, there was a, a, a gang rape of a, of a poor young girl who I believe was like nine or 10 years old. And the perpetrators were kids 11 12 years old um mm. and it's it, it's it's very difficult to 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 think about about that but even when you know it's like well how do you how do you punish that um well that i i mean i i must say that that's a completely or very different uh, thing from uh, from all that i did right. so i never i never saw children uh, uh, of that kind and I agree that that's a, an incredibly different, difficult uh, problem. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but um, uh, the, there, the, the question is, how do you get a society in without so many gangs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, yeah, and what are, maybe you could offer some insights into that where, you know, what should the relationship be between uh, punishment when it comes to, uh, you know, sentencing and, and that sort of thing. What, what is, is there a formula that, that, that works? Well, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like uh, someone who would, uh, who would be in favor of hanging, uh, hanging people who park on uh, uh, double yellow lines or something like that. Well, <laughs> well that, I, would, the, of course, that would stop parking on double yellow lines. And I, I have to say that I'm, I'm a little biased in that department because it is very hard to find parking in my neighborhood. And well, I'm then often, you've I, got a complete excuse. I understand yeah. whatever you do. <laughs> uh, anyone can understand uh, if, if, you, uh, if you really uh, lost your head and did something mm. terrible because you couldn't find a parking space. But uh, no, I mean, I think, uh, and obviously any uh, civilized uh, um, criminal justice system has to take into account mitigating circumstances. And, and uh, I was a psychiatrist and I quite often saw uh, murderers or people who, who I should say had committed homicide who were mad and who did need uh, treatment and who would benefit from treatment and if they'd had treatment wouldn't have probably wouldn't have wouldn't have killed i did see quite a few like that um, but ordinary crime i'm afraid i'm a fairly hard liner and i think the evidence as far as i understand it is 
that uh, punishment does deter is just that it, we've we've given up on it, um, it, uh, it almost in, in Britain and France. I live some of the time in France and France is just as bad in that respect. In fact, anyone sentenced to two years imprisonment in France uh, doesn't go to prison uh, because there are no places for him. Uh, and if after two years, no, no prison place has been found, he's just let go. So that's wow. the end of it. Hmm. Um, well, this, and when you consider the lightness of the sentences in the first place, uh, this is a, a catastrophe for, not for people like me, not for bourgeois people like me, but for poor people. Mm -hmm. yeah. You could actually say that this policy is the means by which the middle classes um, evade their responsibilities to the poor. In, in the United States, uh, we, we often talk about um, criminal justice reform. And uh, uh, one thing that I think a lot of people don't want to contend with is the amount of people who are in, in jail or in prison because of violent crimes. Um, and uh, uh, again, uh, referring to Heather McDonald, Heather McDonald's done a, a good job of pointing out the, uh, uh, when it comes to uh, arrest for marijuana. Um, and, and I, you know, uh, I, I need to, to, you know, I'm a, I'm a libertarian, I'm a, I'm a, an American libertarian. So I, uh, you know, I'm, I am for the, you know, legalization of everything. And I, I know I'm, I might sound a little nutty on that part, but the one thing that I, that I, that I believe you have to contend with is the reality and the facts on the ground. And the facts on the ground is that, you know, there aren't, there aren't so many people in jail for nonviolent marijuana offenses compared to violent offenses. And it's, it's one of these things where you need to deal with the violence that are, you know, that is happening. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I mean, I have wondered, I, I don't know, uh, those who are in for marijuana offenses, just a marijuana and nothing else. I wonder whether, uh, but you would know better than I, whether in fact, what's happening is that the police get very quick convictions because if you're in possession of marijuana, then you're in possession. There's, it's an open and shut case. Whereas if they caught someone in possession of marijuana doing something else, um, uh, something criminal, um, that takes much longer to process. Mm. So, it, yeah, that, that's interesting. And I think I think a lot of uh, a lot of those things too. Uh, they, they come with pleaing down as well yes yeah, you know yeah, so yeah. it's like which is a terribly corrupt system actually mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a disgusting system yeah um because uh actually what uh, you're either guilty of the crime or you're not guilty of the crime and there can be mitigating circumstances of course but you are it's the crime that you're punishing not the and you you're not rewarding people for owning up to the crime because they would never have owned up to the crime if they hadn't been arrested so, I mean, it's this, it's nonsense. It, it's very corrupting. I can understand why it's done just to get people through the courts quickly. But actually, if you had a, a better system, I think you would have fewer people coming into the courts in the first place. Certainly in Britain, for example, we, we have for Europe a relatively high number of 
prisoners, far fewer than in the United States, um, but, but quite a large number. And people say, well, um, this is a high number of uh, prisoners per, per head of population. But that, of course, is a completely bogus statistic. The real statistic is the number of prisoners uh, compared with the number of crimes. Mm. Uh, I mean, <laughs> if, we had, if, we, if we had no crime, if, if, there, if there had never been committed one crime, then it would be an outrage to have a single, crim, uh, sim, single prisoner, uh, even though that would be a very low rate of imprisonment. Right. Uh, so it's not the rate of imprisonment per head of population, is by comparison with crime. And if you look at people who, the average person who gets into prison in Britain has been convicted between five and 10 times. The average person, the average uh, rate at which he has been convicted is perhaps a fifth or a tenth of the number of crimes he's actually done. So in other words, most criminals who get into prison in Britain have done 50 or 100 crimes. Wow. And they've already been through the mill of attempted rehabilitation through community sentences. It's easier in Britain to find in prison, so research shows, it's easier to find someone who has been convicted 46 times than to find someone in prison who has been convicted only once. That's astonishing. <laughs> so the idea that that we are terribly punitive is ridiculous. Mm. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, and I also find it um, in, in in the United States where um, a lot of the people you know calling for criminal justice reform uh, aren't called out enough on the laws that are on the books. So I'm of the mind: look, if you want these laws on the books laws need to be enforced. Yeah. So you don't get to have it both ways where you want the law or the people who say there should be a law against that and then complain about the enforcement of these laws. I think you're, you know, you're part of the, um, the problem if that's your, yeah. if that's the game you're, you're, you're trying to play. Um, recently I saw a, um, a short documentary, I think it was uh, Vice had, had done this documentary about Finland and how Finland handles their uh, prisons, prison population. Then they highlighted, they highlighted this one person, this this man who was convicted of murder, and apparently he's serving uh, pr his prison sentence part time. He gets to live at home. He's getting job training, and then I don't know how many days he actually serves in the the Finnish prison itself. But he's there part time, and he and he murdered someone. And I and uh, I noticed something about the documentary. My, my apologies, you know, if, if you haven't seen it. Um, but they were definitely highlighting, you know, how humane this treatment is, even for you know this person who had murdered. Um, but at no point did they ever interview the the victim's family to say, you know, to, to see what, what they think about that or, yes. or the idea of, you know, this, this young man who was in incredible shape too. I, it was, I, I find it interesting that they picked a very attractive young man to highlight, you know, it was, a, it was almost like, wow, man, the, the murderers in Finland are gorgeous. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, 
you know, what, what, what is that about, you know, how the, you know, the Scandinavian countries do it? Well, first of all, uh, you have to realize that the Scandinavian countries are not the same. Um, Sweden, for example, is very crime-ridden now. Uh, there's a lot of crime in Sweden. Uh, it has a high rate of crime. But I, I mean, to take a country like Finland and say that uh, a society like the Finnish society can be compared with uh, the society in Los Angeles, for example, it's just ludicrous. I mean, you can't compare. Furthermore, furthermore, I mean, we have lots of, I mean, there was recently a case in Britain where a man was treated, I think, very humanely, or you might say humanely, I would actually stupidly. He, uh, he uh, threw his first wife off the, uh, off a balcony, I mean, it was the 11th floor, and of course she died. And that was because they had an argument over how he was dressing. Well, uh, he, he, I think he served about two years. Two years? Two years two year. in prison. Oh my God. I think uh, they accepted that he didn't really mean it or something. I don't know what, I don't know what you mean by throwing someone over. And did, left. Did, did they, I, I wonder if part of the evidence was him showing the outfit that the wife criticized and people were, you know what it that was, is, that It was actually something like that. It was actually like something like that. Anyway, so, so that was wife number one. Then wife number two uh, comes along and uh, he kills her. I've forgotten the reason for it, but it was accepted that he was, he was um, depressed. And therefore, he served another two years and um, came out again. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern here, Dr. Davis. Well, you, yes. So anyway, they, they, um, <clears throat> they let him out and said that, uh, however, if he, he, he had to let the authorities know if he was living with a woman. And, um, and, and he had to attend probation. Well, he did that for 20 years uh, without, um, without informing them that he was actually living with a woman. And the first they knew of him living with a woman was that he attacked her with a claw hammer and uh, killed her. And uh, this time they decided no more two years. Uh, this time it was prison for actually for 35 years. Uh, I mean, he, it's true, he would be 90 when he comes out. Uh, but even so, I would say a society which doesn't have the guts to say, if that's what you do, you right. stay in prison for the rest of your life with no possibility of your coming out, uh, then there's something very wrong with the society. I give a, another... Uh, yeah, please. Uh, I mean, <laughs> these horror stories. I, I, was, just, I, I was just going to say, though, when he does get out of prison when he's 90, he might be single, ladies, so, you know. <laughs> yes. Well, he's probably he's probably had love letters from. I mean, this is another extraordinary thing. People yeah. like that do get letters from. You know, I suppose women. Um, some women think that they're going to redeem him. Or something yeah, like what that. is that about? Is it the, is is it the the cliche? Women think they could change a man. Is that? Well, I think it, uh, yes. I suppose it's 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 a kind of grandiosity. Yeah. I, I I won't go into that. There's a wonderful Australian book about about uh, women who who do that kind of thing. And they, of course, they always they don't write to petty criminals. They only write to criminals who make the front pages. 
So, um, but anyway, here was a case where a man had come out of prison after serving, I think, four years for having nearly killed someone and certainly brain damaging him for life. And he was a great big muscular chap. And this woman felt uh, very attracted to him. And um, he was violent to her. She called the police 11 times. Uh, she always withdrew the charges and eventually the police, the police um, persisted in the prosecution and she lied in court, said that he hadn't laid a finger on her. And the judge did something very un very peculiar, very, uh, well, the only time I've ever heard a judge do anything like this, he called her into his chambers and said, I hope you don't live to, re uh, to, uh, to regret this. Anyway, this man was a monster. <laughs> he, uh, he was uh, drugged. He, he watched these movies in which um, uh, uh, terrible violence is committed. He, he watched films in which somebody put out the eyes of someone with his bare hands, with bare fingers. And eventually, one day, he drugged her. He was very jealous of her, of course. He drugged her, gave her a lot to drink, and did put out her eyes with his fingers. And he got a, he got a life sentence, but with a recommendation that he could come out after six years. Now, I, I mean, I think if I, if I took a poll of the general population, I think 99.9% .9 of the population would say that man should go to prison for the rest of his life and there should be yeah. no question of him ever coming out. Right. Yeah, um, eye gouging is a particularly gruesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, and it's not something you can, I mean, it's not something that you can, uh, it's not a sudden rush of blood to the head. Right. I yeah. mean, uh, you could, uh, I suppose, in a furious argument, hit someone and uh, that person is killed by it. But, but this is not like that. So if, if, if you say to someone like this, you can stay in prison, but it's possible for you to come out after six years, what do you say to someone who has committed a serious crime, but nothing like as serious? He's got to have less because the, 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 there must be some proportionality to the seriousness of the crime and the sentence. So there's a, this constant downward pressure on sentencing, mm -hmm. at least in Britain. I, I, I mean, I think, I think actually the United States is better, most, mostly better. I mean, we're so, you know, we're such a big country and every state has different. As its own, yeah. But, they, but when it comes to, you know, like um, the death penalty as well, you know, some states yeah, yeah, have yeah. it as opposed to others. But, uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think in I might be wrong. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. But in America, you can have sentences like 500 years in prison. Oh, so, so the. Yeah. Yeah, the different the difference between five hundred years and three hundred years is purely symbolic, and that is correct. You know, someone who's done something uh, for five gets five hundred years has done something even worse than someone who's done three hundred years. But it does give the the possibility of a of a of a reasonable uh, response to very very serious crimes. Whereas yeah. in Britain we don't we don't have that.
And, and I think also uh, something in the, in the culture that we have uh, in the United States, and again, this is dependent upon, you know, which state you're in, is the, uh, the value of self-defense. Um, and oftentimes, uh, you know, that involves uh, a firearm. Um, so you have, uh, you, you have states where it's a lot easier to, to have a firearm and to use it in, in self-defense if, you if your home is being invaded, if it's, if it's being attacked. Um, if you're being attacked, excuse me, uh, where I feel like in, being in New York, I feel like that, that value of self-defense is, is sort of, uh, is going away where there are quite a few people who, uh, don't believe that you have a right to defend yourself, even, even if you're, you know, dealing with the, the type of person who would gouge out a woman's eyes. Um, oh, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, there in Britain, self-defense is a is a defense, and mm. it's a complete defense. I mean, if you if you came at me and um, um, and I had reason to think that you were going to do me serious injury or kill me, and I used a knife, say, to kill you, it would be a complete defense. There would be the so we do have a right to self-defense. The problem is that the the right to self-defense has to be proportionate. So in other words, mm. you can't just uh, take someone who's- uh, I, I was trying to hug Dr. Daniels and he stabbed me with a knife. He doesn't, yes, like, to be, he doesn't like to be hugged. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, but of course it's unrealistic uh, if you've got a burglar in your house to know, to know. what he's going to do. Right. I mean, right. you don't know whether he's armed, you don't know whether he's got a history of violence or anything, you, you have no idea. So it's unreasonable to expect a, a totally reasonable response by the person whose house is being burgled. That's, that's what I would say. And um, unfortunately our law doesn't protect people uh, in that situation but I think really the the main thing is that if you don't if you um, don't deal properly with the with the criminals that you actually catch you can't expect a law-abiding society and in a way what I found is 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 encouraging and also discouraging it's encouraging because a very very large proportion of crime is committed by a pretty small proportion of the population what's discouraging is that the rest of society as led by our, our distinguished political class and intellectual class uh, has uh, refuses to deal realistically with that proportion of the population mm. um, so it as I said, the real reason is not why there's so much crime, but why there's so little. Yeah, and I um, in, in New York, I've been seeing quite a bit of uh, you know people uh, attacking others without any fear of police involvement because the police aren't necessarily uh, you know patrolling the areas where where this stuff is happening. And uh, for example, like on the on the the subway system, and then you have another element I. I don't know if you've if you've seen this, but you have people onlookers recording the attacks on their phones and sometimes mm -hmm. commenting on their phones. Um, some of them you would hear, you'll even hear grown men saying, saying, you know, e either you know, it could be as bad as them cheering on what's happening or saying, "Oh my God, this is terrible," and nobody jumping in to try to stop 
this from happening. And it's, and it's not like a, for example, it's not, for example, you don't often see, uh, you know, men of the same age saying, deciding, okay, they're going to have a fist fight on the subway. It's often just a complete, uh, you know, an attack from a grown man on a, on an elderly person, on a on a much smaller, weaker person, on a woman and all that. And it's, it's so troubling again, you know, talking, going back earlier about me being a lifelong New Yorker and just not feeling safe because I don't think there are good neighbors who will have my back should something terrible happen or would have, or would come to the rescue of, of my wife. And it's, uh, awful. Well, I, I mean, uh, the criminologists have a long history of saying that what really, uh, is, is, uh, the problem is not uh, crime itself, but the fear of crime. So your fear is irrational. That's why, I mean, that's the kind of thing that they said for decades, which is very condescending towards people who live in areas where there is a lot of crime. And after all, if I were to say, well, look, after all, 99 times out of 100, uh, you can go to the shop and it's perfectly safe. What's important to you is the one out of a hundred when it isn't safe, because right. that, that's what alters your uh, whole um, attitude to life. Mm -hmm. uh, but criminologists take a very condescending view of fear of crime. So they would say of you that you're being neurotic. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I've heard it. No, no, no. I yeah, no. I know. I am. I I have a, uh, a I guess a similar example of that where I know um, a, a fireman who was murdered on nine eleven. He was um, he was in one of the towers, and the idea of going up to his widow and saying, "Well, you know, he had a very small chance of being killed by a terrorist." Just, just, <laughs> just you know, just you know. But um, you know, but uh, on that, I we've we've talked about you know so many. Pretty negative things. Uh, yeah. uh, I'd, I'd like to maybe uh, get to, uh, get end our conversation with a little bit of, of positivity. And um, you're you're retired. Um, you continue to to put out uh, work, and I highly recommend all my listeners to uh, to, to follow you and on all of your your endeavors. Um, do, do you feel like at at your age, it's sort of um, incumbent upon you to to have some wisdom to impart? On everybody, do, do you feel the, the that weight of you need to tell the world, give the world the truth, shake shake the world a little bit? Well, I mean, I I feel this compulsion to write. Uh, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the world doesn't reciprocate by uh, <laughs> feeling any compulsion to read. So, uh, um, uh, I must say that. Uh, I personally have nothing to complain of. I mean, my life has been, uh, I would say, a very fortunate life. Um, uh, I, uh, I have nothing to complain of. Uh, I lead a, quite a nice life. Um, um, but I don't think anyone can completely cut himself off and say, well, I'm all right, so, so hang the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do have this compulsion to write. And of course, if the world were perfect, um, that would be very disagreeable for me because I'd have nothing to write about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, um, I don't want to, uh, I, I'm not actually uh, very negative. Um, 
I, I enjoy what I do enormously. Mm -hmm. If um, if you were you know giving advice to a a, a younger uh, say a, a younger Mister Daniels not not a doctor yet uh, is there anything that that you would say to him to uh, he's going to be a doctor is he yes he's going to be a doctor or or if you tell him not to be a doctor well you go I, 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 I well I wouldn't want to discourage him um, but I I would pity him because I can see that he's going to lead a more and more bureaucratized life I mean uh, the life that I've had I managed to escape a great deal of bureaucracy and one of the reasons I stopped relatively early was that the bureaucracy was closing in on me and I wanted to stop um, uh, my work before I felt embittered about it. Um, because once you've, once you've enjoyed uh, professional freedom, you don't really like giving it up. And that's what's happening now. Um, so if I, I would say to any doctor, what I, I've worked a lot abroad. I went all over Africa. I've traveled a lot. And when I was young, I quite enjoyed uh, going to dangerous places. I used to like going to civil wars and things like that. And, and, and uh, um, I would recommend to any young doctor uh, to go abroad, uh, to try and work abroad for a time. Um, because in order to um, form any, have any perspective, uh, you have to know something other than everything that you've always known. Mm -hmm. So uh, that I, I would say going abroad is a very important, and traveling is a very important, uh, uh, a very important thing to do. Great, and uh, and and I would and I would say you know we. In the United States, we might be looking at a civil war at some point. So, if you want to come over here, and um, you know, I'd love to take you out for uh, for a coffee, and we could <laughs> and we could uh, talk about it while we're here. <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Daniels, Dr. Daniels, uh, Mr. Uh, Dal Dal uh, thank you so much for uh, for spending time with me uh, today. I'm going to stop recording in three, two, one. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to support the show, please head over to theluperez.locals.com and go ahead and support my sponsors. Black Organic Cold Brew, head over to www.blvckbrew.com and use the promo code LU for free shipping. And if you head over to Paloma Verde, www.palomaverdestore.com and use the promo code LU, you'll get 25% off purchases over $75. And if you sign up for email, you'll get an extra 10% off. All right, later.